Mike Del Vecchio. I'm one of the members of the Elders Council or Elders Board of the session. And uh, I wasn't sure I was tall enough to preach from here. I think I can see I can see Chris back there, so I'm, I'm okay. All right, all right, good, good. This is kind of like a rocket ship going on here or something, man. You've got to like, hold on. All right. So, um, other thing, I, I try not to advertise while I'm doing this. So I got this picture today, just so you aren't trying to figure out what this is. This is a picture of Grace here. And it's got her basic, this is her look right here, okay? You can't see it, but basically it's like we would, some, somebody's probably telling her something to do, like her mother. And she's probably like going, I'll take that under consideration. <laughs> to this day, that's still what we get. So anyway, all right. So Grace is home from college this, this uh, next couple weeks here. So. All right, so the title, we're, we're still in, um, we're still in uh, uh, Matthew, uh, The Good Life, the series. This is a little, we're going a little bit backwards, though. Um, but it's, it's Thanksgiving weekend, so I had to get a title for that. So, what are you hungry for is the title. And what we'll see is what we're really asking is, what is your deepest desire? What is your deepest desire? And the main point today that I want you to take home is one word. So, for the kids, um, I want some of the kids here. There's, we got, where is Hazel? Where is Hazel? Did she leave? Okay, I guess she did. All right, kids finish. Okay, so anyway, maybe some younger people. So, there's one word that's our take-home message today. And you're in church. What do you think that one word might be? There you go. Very nicely done. <laughs> Jesus, very good. Jesus or sin if you're in church, right? So, all right. So Jesus. First made alive in Jesus, then being made whole and finding hope in Jesus, and then you'll have the purpose that will propel you out in Jesus. There is an outline in the back of your bulletin. Um, and as you can see, we are going back a little bit, um, back to Matthew 5, 3 through 10. And the reason was, is some months before um, Pastor Larry was even here, I knew that we were going to, he, he let us know he's going to preach to the Sermon on the Mount. And so I said, well, I'm going to study along, and I'll meditate on that and read it some. Well, that was, what, four or five months ago, and I've gotten through verse 12. So that's why you got this message today. Um, and it wasn't because I haven't been doing it. It's because it's just so deep and so wonderful. So uh, we are going to go over the Beatitudes again today. Um, like that outline, let's get back to the outline. On the back, you'll see three points, of course. Our call to be a beatitutor, Jesus the perfect beatitutor or the hero of heroes, and the power to become a beatitutor, what are you hungry for? What is your deepest desire? First, I've got to define beatitutor because I made the word up. So anyway, a beatitutor, read this with me now. A beatitutor is anyone who's been made alive and whole, finding hope and purpose in Jesus Christ the Lord. Okay, let's stand as we read our scriptures today. All right, let's read together from Matthew 5, 3 through 10. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Holy Father, we just want to thank you and praise you that we can even be here today. And we are here for one reason, that's because of Jesus Christ our Lord. I pray that you'll give me um, clear, clearness of thought and mind. Uh, that I may be able to bring your word clearly to the people here today. And we pray for our hearts, 
that they'll be soft, they'll be malleable, malleable, they'll be changeable by the working of your Holy Spirit. We pray all this for the sake and in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. So quick overview. Um, with the Beatitudes, there's like seven or eight. You can find 70 or 80 ways of giving an overview. But here's my overview that will hopefully help guide you as we talk today. I'm going to say that there's eight Beatitudes. So we're going to say there's three Beatitudes that show where a disciple of Jesus must begin. Poor in spirit, mourning, and in meekness. There's one Beatitude that I'm going to call the hinge uh, that turns to the three Beatitudes that reveal what a disciple of Jesus will do for others. Mercy, liberty, peacemaking. Lastly, there's a Beatitude that speaks to what a disciple of Jesus will experience as they live a life as a follower of Jesus, and that's persecution. So number first point of the day, call to be a beatitude. All the commentaries I read and the sermons I listened to and stuff, they all were unanimous on this point. These aren't sort of seven or eight traits you can kind of pick and choose from. What Jesus was saying is this is what a follower of me will be. These are the attitudes that they will have from one to seven, all of these taken together. So we're going to go through all of them looking at what a follower of Jesus should be like. I hope a lot of this sounds familiar to you today. Because Pastor Larry just preached on this literally weeks ago, and you're going to see that I quote a lot from Pastor Larry. Also, all these sermons are online. It's real easy to listen to, so you can just listen to them again, too. So, all right. Blessed is number one. So, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit essentially means bankrupt before God. Listen, we all know that we've done some things that are wrong. All of us know that. But we also think we've done some things right or good. Or in spirit, that you not only admit you've done wrong, but even the good things you do are done for the wrong reason. You've got nothing before God, you are bankrupt. Remember the emoji that Pastor Tim showed? I don't want to talk about it too much. A few weeks ago, he was describing our righteousness. Remember what that emoji was? Okay, we'll just leave that there. Move on. Read this with me. Not the labors of my hands can fulfill my law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save thou alone. Additionally, what we're going to see as we go through these Beatitudes, and Pastor Larry went over this, there's always a, there's another aspect to the important spirit. And that is that no, you know that you're not better than anyone else. The second part of our being poor in spirit should give you the compassion and understanding for all the broken ones and all the Two, mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You mourn over your sin. Okay, by God's grace, uh, in the work of His Holy Spirit, you see that you're bankrupt. Even your good things were done for the wrong reasons, and now you mourn, you repent. You desire to turn from these things. But it doesn't stop there. You also mourn over the sins of others. And you mourn over how sin has hurt others. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meek does a lot in this word, and Pastor Larry defined it as not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. Another aspect of this definition, as Pastor Larry pointed out, was the willingness to give up self-control. Give up control. Willing to give up control of your life. And the most important aspect of control that you have to give up is our striving for self-justification or simply for our own salvation. You simply realize you don't have it all together. You don't got this. 
But as we see the first, as we saw in the first two Beatitudes, there's another aspect of meekness. Here's a definition of meekness from a British preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones. He preached in the middle of last century. Quote, meekness is essentially a true view of oneself expressing itself in attitude and conduct with respect to others. So there's that otherness aspect of it. Poor in spirit, mourning, and meekness. This is where Jesus started, and here is where we must begin as well. First, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you must begin with admitting your complete bankruptcy before God. Nothing in your hands to bring. Read this with me. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for rest. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. You must mourn, desire to turn, Realistic inventory of your state. Realizing you need help. That help, that justification, that salvation is found only in Jesus. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, 6. In, a, in another well known passage, Jesus says, and here the Son is referring to Jesus, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish without that's God's, that's God's call to you today. Repent and believe in Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, poor in spirit, mourning, and meekness are also for us. There's a cycle of repentance and believing in Jesus, the good news of Jesus. There's also an aspect of how these attitudes change us to be people who act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. Micah 6.8 he has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Okay, Jesus, in describing his followers, speaks about being poor in spirit, mourning, and Next comes what I will call the hinge that turns to the other three that follow. But for me, it was more like a key to all the rest of the attitudes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied with Satisfied. Jesus was brilliant, you know. Figure that out. He was an amazing teacher. You know you're poor in spirit, grasping it to the point that you mourn and accept all this with meekness. Well, there's only one outcome. We know we have great need. And right on cue, Jesus introduces what we need. Pastor Larry defined this desire, this hunger and thirst as overwhelming, life transforming, all consuming desire to see God glorified in everything. That's so important. We have this great, need, this great need, but we don't look to ourselves for it. We look to Jesus. We'll get back to that in more detail, looking to Jesus. But we have to deal with this word righteousness. This is an amazing word, not so much used in our English today, especially not in our time. We use it most commonly in the term self-righteousness, so not a good thing. But Pastor Larry gave us a quote that defined righteousness based on a Greek word. Um, you might remember it was a spitting word. Pastor Larry, can you, can you tell us that word again? Don't spit on Miss Harriet, please. There you go. Okay. We'll just move on. But it's a Greek word about righteousness. So let me read this quote again that Pastor Larry gave us in, terms, in regards to the word righteousness and the breadth of that term. These people hunger and thirst not only that they may be righteous, 
that is, that they may, that they may wholly do God's will from the heart, but that justice may be done everywhere. All unrighteousness grieves them and makes them homesick for the new heaven and earth, the home of righteousness. Satisfied with neither personal righteousness alone nor social justice, biblical justice, that's what we pointed out. They cry for both. In short, they long for the advent of the messianic kingdom. Again, we have two sides, if you will, of the same coin. A deep desire for our personal righteousness and rightness, but also a desire to see that same rightness or justice for all around us. When Pastor Larry was preaching these verses, he brought the concept of Imago Dei. Now, I'm a working stiff like the rest of you folks, so I had to have this sermon done long before last week. So again, you just decide how you think the Spirit's working here. The, the Imago Dei, or the image of God, is the foundation for because you matter to us and you matter to God. It's all the same thing. So Imago Dei is Latin for, for image of God. It's based on Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is such a fundamental, foundational truth, especially in regards to how we treat others. Let me give you a quick example. I bike commute. You may say, Mike, I didn't know your car was broken. My car is not broken. You may say, Mike, are you not used to the septic key thing? No, no, I got a septic key. You may say, Mike, you don't have money for a psychiatrist? No, no, no. Anyway, so I bike commute. And I'm by, you know, I buy quite a bit, and as Pastor, as Mr. Dr. Brian can tell you, or Dr. Tim can tell you, and as, as just Mr. Jake can tell you, and others who bike commute, we frequently have these instances where drivers do stupid things. And I will tell you that I frequently, more than one occasion, I'll say, you! I'm what do I have to do? Seriously, though, the next thought, by God's grace, at times come in, no, no. This is person was created in my image, Mike. You should not denigrate them in any way, regardless of what they've done. Even in that situation, the Imago Dei is important. The truth of the Imago Dei is so foundational that I want to read you one more description of it. It's kind of long. I've read it to you guys before. Um, but bear with me. It's from, um, it's from Systematic Theology, uh, Gruden's Systematic Theology. Every single human being no matter how much the image of God is marred by sin, illness, or weakness, or age, or any other disability, still has the status of being in God's image, and therefore is to be treated with dignity and respect that is due to God's image bearer. This has profound implications for our conduct toward others. It means that people of every race deserve equal dignity and rights. It means that elderly people, those seriously ill, the mentally retarded, and children yet unborn, <clears throat> deserve full protection and honor as human beings. If we deny our unique status in creation as God's only image bearers, we'll soon begin to deprecate or make less the value of human life. We'll tend to see humans as merely a higher form of animal and we'll begin to treat others as such. Also listen to this. We'll also lose much of our sense of meaning. So the follower of Jesus firmly understanding her poorness in the spirit, mourning over her sin and the sins of others in meekness, and firmly grounded in the understanding of the Imago Dei, goes out, goes out, showing mercy, being pure in heart, and peace. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. That's number five of the 
the Beatitudes. Pastor Larry's definition, kindness or concern expressed for someone in need. It recognizes that the person is in need, but it does not try to pin where that need came from onto the person. Martin Lloyd-Jones defines mercy as a sense of pity plus the desire to relieve the suffering, or it is pity plus the action. Pity plus the action. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Number six, pure in heart. Pastor Larry pointed out that there's a tie with pure in heart and the Old Testament meaning or term singleness of heart. I want to relate it to the term that we use more often called integrity. Okay, again, for the not-so-old among us, in math class, do you remember what an integer is? What's an integer? Whole number, yeah, or it's non, not a fraction. A number with no fractional part, or some would say a whole number. So integrity relates to a wholeness or a oneness. Practically, it works out as being the same wherever you are. The same at home, at school, at church, by yourself, all the time, the same. Integrity is one of those things that affects everyone around you. It's like a guide that leads you in your way of life. Number seven, peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. It's not so difficult of a concept, peacemaking, but we have to be careful. Thank you, sir. This is his job every time. I always forget to bring something. So peacemaking is not a difficult concept, <clears throat> but we must be careful. It's not a call to, it's not a call the same as someone who just wants to make nice or appease everyone. That's what I like to do. <clears throat> those who look, it's, it's peacemaking, as Pastor Larry said, are those who look for troubled areas so they might bring true reconciliation, true reconciliation. All right, so how are you doing up to this point? Your critique, and you check out yourself as we've gotten through the first seven Beatitudes. Poor in spirit, mourning, meek, desiring to see God glorified, merciful, having integrity, and peacemaking, not just appeasing or playing nice. Let's look at the last beatitude before we determine our final critique. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Persecution for Jesus. As Pastor Larry pointed out, this beatitude is not referring to being rude or a knucklehead in the name of Jesus. Is someone who's characterized by all seven traits we've talked about, and then having developed these traits because of Jesus, you're persecuted, you're hurt, you're scandalized because of Jesus. Doesn't end there. Next, Jesus says how you're supposed to respond to this persecution. He says, Rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad. Why? He answers it because of a reward. Because of a reward. A great reward, he says, a great reward in heaven. What is this reward? Well, I don't really know. But I do know who's there. Who is the ultimate reward? Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So, how are we doing? All these characteristics are to be found in a follower of Jesus. And then, as well as we, as we live them out, we'll be persecuted. And we are to rejoice in that persecution because it makes Jesus look greater. I don't know about you, but I can't say at this point I feel overly encouraged. But we're not done yet. We're not done yet. 
when I started working on this sermon some time ago, I had like two hours worth of material. And I, but I cut it back to one hour 45, so we're doing good here. <laughs> if you have been made alive and whole in Jesus, there is hope in Jesus. Our second point, the perfect beatitutor. Okay, according to our definition of beatitude, Jesus can't be one, but he perfectly fulfilled all the beatitudes. Much of what I'm going to say on this point is from Ian Duguid's small book, Hero of Heroes. Mr. Dr. Duguid defines blessed in a special way. These beatitudes are like, a, like an onion, by the way, this stuff. What else is like an onion? Oh, the little kids are in here. An ogre is like an onion, right? Shrek? Right? Okay. All right. All right. So here's being do good's definition of blessed. The idea that such a person is someone you look up to, you would want to be like, would be your hero. Would be your hero. Okay, let's see how Jesus is our hero of heroes, our hero of the Beatitudes, the perfect Beatituder. Number one, poor in spirit. Ian Duguid talks about a couple of things about Jesus that shows how he was poor in spirit. First, he talks about how Jesus fought temptation. Remember how early in Jesus' ministry, he, he fasted for 40 days, not 40 minutes. I do 40 minutes and I'm dying. 40 days, and then he goes out in the wilderness and is tempted by the devil. Each time the devil tempted Jesus, Jesus would respond with a verse from the Bible concerning temptation. He used the word of God. Also consider Jesus' prayer life. We are given many, many examples of Jesus praying, of going to the Father and seeking the Father's help. Jesus was modeling a total dependence on God, a total need for God or poor in spirit. And lastly, and most perfectly, Jesus shows us what poor in spirit is when he died on the cross. He was utterly poor in spirit. He felt it with his cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To mourn. To mourn. Jesus experienced firsthand the pain of living in a fallen world. He came. He joined us as man. Jesus wept. Jesus mourned over sin. Not his own. He was sinless. But over the sins of others. And he mourned over how sin hurt others. About meekness. Consider one definition of meekness. Bold concerning others in need, yet humble concerning yourself. Well, that is Jesus. How about number four, hungry and thirsting after righteousness, remembering our definition of this term, an overwhelming, life-transforming, all-consuming desire to see God glorified in everything? Well, enough said. That's basically Jesus. He's certainly a hero in that category as well. How about merciful? Well, Jesus is simply mercy on steroids. Pity plus action. Pity plus action. Not pinning the cause of the, of, of the need on the one in need. That's Jesus. And you've got to stop for a second and reflect at the cross there. At the cross is where we see mercy and grace and justice meet. It's like this amazing explosion that bursts forth with the resurrection. And the result is the magnificent glory of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, perfect in justice, yet perfect in love. That love flowing out to those who are, who are brought into union with Jesus as a family by faith in Jesus. Amen. Number six, pure in heart, or singleness of heart, or having integrity. Jesus' single desire was to do God's will. Jesus came to this earth with a mission. He was undivided. He had perfect integrity. Jesus was the same in the light as in the dark. 
We see this so well in the Garden of Gethsemane that last night. Jesus was in agony. In Luke's account, he's sweating drops of blood. He was clearly searching for a way out of the horror he would fully experience the next day on the cross. It was dark. Jesus' disciples were asleep. Jesus could have just quietly walked away, but he stayed. He had integrity. How about number seven, peacemaking? Or class one troublemaker, as Pastor Larry put it. Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker, but this was no easy peace. It got Jesus into the greatest trouble the world has ever known. Jesus was not an appeaser. He did not just make nice or ignore all the terrible things that had led to the war between God and man. Jesus was the class one troublemaker. And Jesus' troublemaking cost him his life. And Jesus in his death and then resurrection became our peace. How about persecution? The last one. Jesus was insulted, persecuted, and lied about from the time he was a baby. Pilate tried to kill Jesus when he was little. Jesus' family thought he was crazy. The religious leaders said Jesus was the devil. And then the ultimate persecution, the agonizing, painful, humiliating death upon a cross. But Jesus being our hero of heroes goes much farther than being the perfect beatitude or perfectly living out all the beatitudes. And this has to do with all the blessings that I've not yet mentioned. Let's look and see how Jesus lost every one of these blessings so that we could have them. Poor in spirit, the kingdom of heaven. Jesus had been in the kingdom of heaven for eternity, the perfect place of God's rule and reign. He left it. He lost it. He gave up the kingdom so we could be brought into it. How about mourning and comfort? Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. What about the Garden of Gethsemane the night before Jesus' death that I referred to? He asked his disciples to pray with him, to help him. They fell asleep. No comfort there. He lost all comfort so we in our brokenness can have the ultimate comfort in the arms of God the Father. Meek and inheriting the earth. Jesus had nowhere to lay his head. Jesus was homeless. On the cross, he didn't even have clothes. They cast lots for his garments. He was killed like a criminal with no claim on anything. All so we could have a rightful claim to all things as royal children of the emperor, king, God. How about satisfied or filled? Oh, no, not Jesus. From Philippians 2. Christ Jesus, who though was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of man. Jesus was emptied. And even more on the cross, he cried, I thirst, with no help. Jesus was emptied, emptied on a universal level so that we could have our deepest desire filled to overflowing. How about merciful and receiving mercy? No mercy for Jesus. God had no mercy Jesus. Isaiah 53. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was oppressed and he was afflicted like a lamb led to the slaughter. This was by his dad. There was no mercy for Jesus so that we could be lavished with the mercy of God. Pity plus action. Pity plus action. How about being pure in heart and seeing God? On the cross, God turned his face away. On the cross, darkness comes in the middle of the day. Jesus could not see. Jesus could not see God. 
all so that we could see God and we could be in the presence of God. How about peacemaking and sons of God? Remember Jesus' cry on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Consider, Jesus' cry of dereliction is the only time that Jesus does not address God as Father. God was rejecting Jesus as his son so that we could be sons and daughters of God, so that we could be in relationship with God as dad or papa. Jesus, the hero of heroes of the Beatitudes, keeping everyone perfectly but lost all blessings of his perfect work. Why is that so? Why is that so? From 2 Corinthians 5.21, for, for, for our sake he, that's God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here we see the great exchange. All the curses we deserve are put on Jesus. All the blessings that Jesus deserves are put on us. Okay, to our last point. The power to become a beatituder. Or what are you hungry for? What is your deepest desire? Let's go back to the middle of the Beatitudes, the hinge that I spoke of. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, so they shall be satisfied or filled. Let's consider this hunger and thirsting. Follow me now. Pay attention. Pay attention if you're falling asleep. Good time to wake up. Remember Pastor Larry's definition of hungry and thirsting um, spoken of here. An overwhelming, life-transforming, all-consuming desire to see God glorified in everything. So you see, see that movement towards God? Here's another, comment, another commentator described it this way. When the prodigal son was hungry, he went to, to feed upon the husk. But when he was starving, he turned to the father. To hunger and thirst really means to be desperate, to be starving, to feel life ebbing out, to realize my urgent need of help. Hungering and thirsting after righteousness as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. That's Psalm 42.1. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. Psalm 42.1 introduced what has been the key for me as I've meditated on the Beatitudes these past months. As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. There it is. Thirsting for Jesus. What are you hungry for? Now stay with me here. I know you might be getting hungry. Martin Lloyd-Jones also talks about this. It, referring to hunger and thirst for righteousness, means that one's supreme desire is to know God and to be in fellowship with him, to walk with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, having put all these things together, I'm going to read next to you the MSV version for Matthew 5, 6. It's the Michael Standard Version. There's only one verse in that version. You can memorize the whole Bible there. Blessed are those whose deepest desire is Jesus because they'll get what they want. Blessed are those whose deepest desire is Jesus. They'll get what they want. Let's read it together. Blessed are those whose deepest desire is Jesus because they will get what they want. Amen. Your deepest desire, your deepest desire. At this point, you may be saying, Mike, I want these things. I want to be a follower of Jesus that's characterized by all, these beatitudes, with all the Beatitudes speak of. I want to desire Jesus. If that's true for you, I want you to be encouraged today. 
Really encourage. First, be encouraged that you even have that desire to be that person that Jesus laid out in the Beatitudes. That one thing tells you the Holy Spirit's at work in your life. But also remember the definition, our definition of Beatituder. A Beatituder is anyone who has been made alive and whole, finding hope and purpose in Jesus Christ. Notice I said anyone. Not a select group of special followers of Jesus. Anyone who's been made alive in Jesus. Listen to these promises from God. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. In Jesus, God looks on you the same way. He says, That's my girl. That's my boy. As Pastor Larry pointed out a few weeks ago, God not only loves you, he likes you. But there's more. There's always more with God and Jesus. From Philippians 1.6. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. And how about this from Romans 8.29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, we could talk for hours on this. A lot here, but basically God is going to see to it that you become more like Jesus. The perfect beatitude, the hero of heroes. Okay, as we close, I want to be very frank. We are a family, after all. I've been a a follower, mostly a stumbling follower of Jesus for over 40 years. By God's grace and mercy, his indwelling Holy Spirit has given me a desire to live, as we've discussed today. I've prayed. I've meditated on God's word. I've listened to countless sermons by men and women on God's word, and I've listened to this often. I've been particularly helped by one preacher, and and he has a great sermon on this same thing I'm discussing today. If you want it, let me know. I'll send it to you. Anyway, that preacher always, I mean always, ends his sermons the same way, looking at some, some aspect of the awesomeness, the wonder, or the beauty of Jesus. On many occasions, I've listened to these sermons, and the ending is always the same. And I thought to myself, okay, nice sermon, but isn't there something more, some formula, some process, some special way to do things? And I want to be crystal clear. The answer to that is no. The answer to that is no. It's all about Jesus. It's that simple, but also so majestic that we'll spend eternity delving into the depths and wonder of Jesus, and we'll never reach the bottom or the top. It's all about Jesus. First made alive in Jesus, then being made whole and finding hope in Jesus, and then you'll have a purpose that will propel you out in Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we've reflected just for a few minutes on the wonder of your Son, I pray that you'll just open our minds, open our hearts, and that we may just be overwhelmed by the beauty of our Lord and Savior Jesus. I pray for those here today that have never seen Jesus this way, that they'll see him this way today and say, I want him, I desire him, and come to you in brokenness and mourning, but knowing that you will take them fully in Jesus. For those of us who've called on Jesus' name for many years, I pray that you'll touch us today. 
He'll touch our hearts, and we'll see him anew as our hero of heroes, and we'll come, to, come before him knowing that we'll never be cast out, but we'll be comforted and loved deeply by you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to do a couple of things. We're going to, I think the prayer team, is there some prayer team members today? There are, yes. I think they'll be front and back. I don't know. You'll see them standing here. So, again, we're, for, we're going to sing two songs to close. We're first going to have a little quieter song where you can certainly sing along. Um, but pray uh, either by yourself or with a team member um, or those next to you. And then we'll finish out our time with a little more lively of a song. So let's, let's, let's go to the Lord now and continue in our time of worship. Let the water and the blood from thy rivet side which flood be of sin a double cure save from wrath and of my hands can fulfill thy laws demands could my zeal no respite know could my tears forever flow all for sin could not atone Thou must save and Thou alone. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to Thy cross I cling. to the fountain fly wash me Savior or I die while I draw this fleeting breath when my eyes shall to worlds unknown, see thee on thy judgment throne, rock of ages cleft for me, let me hide myself.
love is everlasting, it's an everlasting love. Your mercy is as new as every rising of the sun. And your loving kindness, your loving kindness is better than life. Grace is all sufficient, it's an all sufficient grace. Your power and your glory are forever on display. And your loving kindness, your loving kindness is better than life. Your loving kindness is better than life. Fairest of ten thousand, of ten thousand you are fair. Nothing in this world could ever measure or compare to your loving kindness. Your loving kindness is better than life. your ways are just, O oh Lord, you're just in all your ways. And I would lift my hands, O oh Lord, in gratitude and praise for your loving kindness, your loving kindness, better than mine. It's better than life itself, better than life itself, Jesus, your loving kindness is better than life itself, better than life itself. It's better than life. Your love is everlasting. It's an everlasting love. Your mercy is as new as every rising of the sun. And your loving kindness, your loving kindness is better than life. Grace is all sufficient, it's an all sufficient grace. Your power and your glory are forever.